0: section twenty seven of stupor mundi the life and times of frederick the second by lionel Allshorn. this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by pamela Nagami. chapter fourteen the council of Lyon, part one there was a deeper motive behind innocent's flight from rome than the mere desire for personal safety he realised as his predecessor at last had done That the condemnations and anathemas of the pope had lost the efficacy they once possessed and that frederick could never be brought to submission by these means gregory had sought to bring a more potent weapon to his aid the voice of the whole of christendom the judgment of a general council of the church if such a power pronounced the emperor guilty of the heinous crimes laid to his charge if it judged those crimes worthy of the utmost penalty and deposed him and his heirs from the imperial dignity then in the eyes of at least the half of christendom frederick would no longer be the emperor of rome and another might be chosen in his stead whether such a deposition would be lawful or unlawful was written in no constitution of christendom nor was the composition of such a council defined by writ but however vague the powers it exercised however inadequate it might represent the great christian commonwealth its decrees would be invested with far greater solemnity than the unsupported pronouncements of the pope the council which gregory had summoned had never reached rome and the destination of most of its members had been an imperial prison if innocent had stayed in italy a similar reverse might well have befallen him in lyons however he could hold his council in peace the august representatives of christendom could travel there in safety they could deliberate without fear of rude interruption either from the armies of the incensed emperor or the irreverent clamourings of the roman rabble it was to lyons therefore that he summoned the kings princes and prelates and bade them gather themselves together on the day of st john the baptist the emperor himself was cited to appear before the great tribunal to answer for his sins and make such reparation as should seem good to his judges the great lateran council held by innocent the third in twelve fifteen had been attended by no less than five hundred prelates the council of lyons held by innocent the fourth in twelve forty five was attended by only one hundred and forty this singular decline was due in some measure to the distracted state of christendom palestine was overrun by the Charismian turks the patriarchate of constantinople was rent by schism hungary had not yet recovered from the devastations of the tartar hordes germany was seething with internal disorders but we may believe that many of the fathers of the church were absent from other reasons than this if a prelate sympathised with the emperor if he deprecated the harshness of innocent and the inordinate ambition of the papacy he would choose unless he were a man of singular courage to remain in his own country and lend no hand in the condemnation of frederick rather than to raise his voice openly in the council and incur the enmity of so ruthless and formidable a pope frederick himself had foreseen this eventuality in connection with the council which gregory had summoned and had protested that while his enemies would flock to the assembly eager for his destruction those who believed in the right of his own cause would either remain away or overawed by their spiritual head would acquiesce by their silence in the sentence which would inevitably be pronounced on the twenty sixth of june the council met in the convent of st just for its first session besides the great body of prelates and the twelve cardinals there were the lay envoys from the various states of christendom the latin emperor of constantinople was there in person and sat on the Pope's right hand. The Counts of Provence and Toulouse sat on his left. Roger Bygod, Earl of Norfolk, was among the ambassadors of England and seized the opportunity to protest vigorously against the papal extortions in his native land. The great function of representing the Emperor, of refuting on his behalf the charges that would be made against him, was entrusted to Thaddeus of Sueza, one of Frederick's most trusted counsellors. The meeting was inaugurated with due solemnity, with psalms and prayers and hymns. Then Thaddeus stepped forward and in the name of his lord made a final appeal for peace. The emperor would do great things for Christendom, would use all his might in her service. He would compel the Eastern Empire to return to the fold of Orthodoxy. He would hurl the Tartars back into their Asiatic homes, would sweep the Charismians from the soil of Palestine, and restore it to the worshippers of Christ. He would give back to the papacy all the territories that she claimed, and would give ample satisfaction for his offenses. The Pope, however, had gathered the council for a sterner purpose than that of enforcing terms. How shall I bind this shifting proteus? he asked. These are fine words and specious promises. The axe is laid at the root of the tree, and he would avert it if we were weak enough to believe this deceiver who would guarantee that he would be kept to his word the kings of france and england answered thaddeus we object to them said innocent for if he violated the treaty as he assuredly would we should be obliged to rebuke them and then instead of one we should have the three greatest monarchs of christendom for our enemies thaddeus answered nothing and the council broke up in silence two days later it assembled again in the cathedral of st john the pope clad in the sumptuous robes of his office celebrated mass and afterwards mounted the pulpit o all ye who pass by the way he quoted behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow i have five sorrows which i may liken unto the five wounds of christ these are the tartar invasion the schismatical spirit of the greeks the heresies which have crept in especially in lombardy the seizure of jerusalem by the charismians the active enmity of the emperor to the church which he is especially bound to protect on this last score he enlarged with such eloquence as to move himself and his hearers to tears from pathos he proceeded to bitter invective and accusation the emperor he said had trifled with the unclean thing he had built a city in his realm had peopled it with saracens and allowed them to exercise even joined in their superstitious rites he had contracted a familiar friendship with the sultan of cairo and other infidel princes he had shamelessly polluted himself with saracen women whom he maintained in his harem he had been many times guilty of perjury and had sworn to the church things which he refused to perform of this the pope had damning evidence in the shape of numerous letters sealed with the imperial seal here thaddeus rose from his seat he too could produce his proofs letters sealed with the papal seal which contained no less certain evidence of the pope's dishonesty the obsequious assembly professed to scrutinize these letters and arrived at the dutiful conclusion that all the promises contained in the emperor's letters were absolute all those in the papal letters conditional thaddeus refused to accept such a judgment and declared that the emperor had been justified in any seeming lapses from the honourable fulfilment of his word by the pope's own perjuries as to the charge of heresy made against my lord for this no one can answer but himself he must be present to declare his creed who shall presume to read the secrets of his heart but and he regarded the pope and the cardinals with accusing eyes that he is no heretic you may judge from this fact he will not allow any usurer to dwell in his dominions the pope and his creatures frowned uncomfortably when thus reminded of the particular heresy which all christendom imputed to the court of rome my master he continued only uses common prudence in cherishing the alliance of egypt he allows saracens to dwell in his realm in order to put down sedition he employs them in his expeditions as soldiers because he thinks that the blood of these infidels is not so precious as that of christian soldiers he does not indulge in sinful intercourse with saracen harlots who can prove it but he amuses himself with the jests and certain feats of some women whom he has now however sent away because they create suspicion thaddeus then requested that the next session of the council should be postponed so that he might obtain fuller powers from the emperor, or that the emperor himself might come to Lyon. Now, God forbid, exclaimed the pope, I have already had trouble enough to escape his snares, and if he comes, I will go. I do not wish for blood, and I do not feel myself fit or ready for martyrdom or imprisonment. The French and English envoys, however, insisted that such a postponement was just an innocent was forced to consent to an adjournment of 14 days if frederick had come to lyon if the arch-culprit himself had appeared to justify himself before the representatives of christendom then the vast pageant of the world's history would have been enriched by one more grand and moving scene the lively imagination cannot but glow at the vision conjured up by such a meeting frederick the greatest if not the most powerful of the mediaeval emperors faces innocent the most implacable of the popes the two enemies personify in their mortal combat the culmination of the long and bitter strife between the empire and the papacy the greatly persecuted emperor curbing it may be for a while his haughty spirit appeals for peace refutes the accusations against him with calm and majestic dignity protests his faithfulness to the church's creed and scorns the slanders that have tainted him with infidel beliefs the proud innocent will hear nothing of peace at so late an hour he sweeps aside his opponent's denials heaps charge upon charge invective upon invective the emperor casts aside his restraint hurls back accusation for accusation enlarges upon the notorious rapacity of the roman see its ungodly ambition and covetousness its alliance with the lombard heretics its malignant hatred of one who would else have been its most faithful son the air is surcharged with venom electric with tense emotion heavy with portent the vast assembly hearkens to the duel of words with bated breath dreads the moment when upon itself shall fall the honorous duty of pronouncing between these two for since the emperor himself is there, the ultimate judgment must rest with the council. The pope cannot, dare not, presume to take for granted its dutiful acquiescence in his declaration of the emperor's guilt. What will be the verdict of the council? The lay envoys who might be expected to take Frederick's side are in a minority, and among them are the ambassadors of Genoa, Venice, and other states in open warfare against him. The preponderant body of churchmen are bound in some measure by their holy calling to obey their head, are exposed to his favour or resentment, are mindful of the manner in which Frederick has exacted from their brethren in Sicily the obedience and financial burdens which are due to him from his lay subjects. Can the emperor so sway them by his eloquence, so impress them with the justice of his cause, as to make them forget these things? to that question no answer can be given there are bounds beyond which the imagination of the writer may not legitimately stray but frederick did not go to Lyons. doubtless he knew in his own mind that even his own presence could not avert his condemnation by such an assembly and it would be hard for him after he had himself pleaded his cause before the council and thus tacitly recognised its authority to deny the validity of its sentence His pride revolted, moreover, at submitting himself to the censure of meaner men. Who were these prelates, he asked, that they should presume to sit in judgment on the Emperor of Rome, on one who was answerable to none but God? I see as clear as light, he said, that the Pope is eager to revenge himself upon me, because I caused his kinsmen, Genoese pirates, old enemies of the Empire, to be seized at sea and imprisoned, Together with their abettors, the prelates, it is plain that he has called the council for no other purpose than to work my ruin, and it is not meet that the empire should be bound by the decision of a hostile synod End of section twenty seven